So some uh, passages in the Bible are uh, encouraging and, and really comforting, and those are, are relatively easy to preach, those passages. Other passages are challenging and convicting, and those are not as easy to preach. But one of our convictions, one of our passions here at Grace Church is to do all we can to preach exactly what the Bible says. We don't want to water anything down. We want to let the Bible speak as it was written. So when a passage from the Bible is comforting, we should gladly receive that comfort. When a passage is challenging or convicting, we should welcome that challenge and that conviction. And the reason I tell you that is because this morning's passage is one of those challenging, convicting passages. Very powerful. Luke chapter 12, verses 1 through 12. And I want to set the stage for this passage just to give you a little bit of background context. I want you to imagine that you're one of Jesus' disciples. Maybe Peter, maybe Matthew, Andrew. You're one of Jesus' disciples. And when you met Jesus, the first time you met him, you saw authority and glory and love and compassion. And being in his presence gave you so much joy that you wanted to follow him forever. That's who Jesus Christ was. That's who Jesus Christ is. And Jesus explained to you, as he explained to everyone, that your sin makes you deserving of God's judgment forever, but that Jesus has authority to forgive sins because of what he would do on the cross. Wonderful news. And so you, you turned from your sin. You put your trust in Jesus. You trusted him to forgive you. You trusted him to fill you with his presence, satisfy your heart with his glory. You trusted him to change you. And he did. His joy, his peace, his love was unlike anything you'd experienced before. And so you are now gladly following him. But in Luke 11, previous chapter, last week's chapter, which Aaron preached on so helpfully last week, in Luke 11, something troubling happens. Not sure if the disciples were there personally or whether they heard about it, but what happened was Jesus was invited to a Pharisee's house for dinner. Probably a lot of other Pharisees there, a lot of Jewish lawyers were there. And the host asks Jesus a question. Ceremonial washing of your hands before a meal was not taught in the Bible, but it was part of Jewish tradition. And the host asks Jesus, why, why didn't you ceremonially wash your hands before you sat down? And here's what Jesus answered. You Pharisees, you Pharisees wash your outsides, but your insides are full of greed and wickedness. You fools. Don't you know that God made the outside as well as the inside? Woe to you Pharisees, he says, because you are all about impressing people and you have no love for God. 
whoa. Not exactly dinnertime conversation. Then one of the lawyers said, Jesus, those words offend us as well, us Jewish lawyers. And Jesus does not back down. He continues, woe to you lawyers as well. God has given us a door of salvation. And, and the key to get in that door is in the scriptures. But you have kept that key from other people and have not walked in the door yourselves. So Jesus, in this dinner setting with all these Pharisees and all these Jewish lawyers, is exposing the sin of these powerful Jewish leaders. Which can only mean trouble for Jesus. And when you're a disciple and you heard about that, you're thinking, that could mean trouble for me too. And then Luke says that when Jesus left, the Pharisees and the scribes were accusing Jesus on his way out, were denouncing Jesus on his way out, were attacking Jesus on his way out verbally. And that brings us to Luke chapter 12. Start with verse 1. Here's what Luke writes. In the meantime, when so many thousands of the people had gathered together that they were trampling one another, he began to say to his disciples first, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. So Jesus had called out the Pharisees on their hypocrisy, and now he wants to make sure that his disciples understand that it's not just the Pharisees who struggle with hypocrisy, but that they will struggle with hypocrisy as well. Every follower of Jesus will struggle with hypocrisy. So let's ask the question, why is it so important to avoid hypocrisy? Why is that so important? Now, before we look at the reasons Jesus gives, let's just be clear on what hypocrisy is. What is hypocrisy? And, and look at exactly what Jesus said in the previous chapter. Here's what he said to the Pharisees, Luke eleven thirty nine. 39. And the Lord said to him, one of the Pharisees at the dinner, Now, you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. So hypocrisy means trying to cover up the sin that's on the outside, or sorry, trying to cover up the sin that's on the inside by looking good on the outside. That's what hypocrisy is. You've got sin on the inside, you try to, to cover that up by looking good on the, on the outside. And Aaron gave such a great illustration last week. It's, it's like you're inviting somebody over to your house for dinner, and you give them this bowl so they can serve themselves the soup or the stew or whatever it is, and they, they, they thank you for this bowl. Look, that bowl is just beautiful. And it's so clean. But then they happen to, to look, look in, inside the bowl. And there's like rotten spaghetti in there. And there's some, you know, moldy noodles. And ooh, there's some maggots enjoying themselves. That's what hypocrisy is. Perfect picture of hypocrisy. Hypocrisy tries to cover up the sin on the inside by cleaning up the outside, trying to look good on the, on the outside. Let me give you a couple of examples. Let's say that you wake up on Saturday morning, and honestly, you'd rather, instead of going to worship with God's people, you, you, you just got a brand new spy novel, or maybe a romance novel, and, and, and you'd, you'd rather read that than, than go. But instead of taking that to the Lord Jesus and saying, help me change my heart, what's going on here? You think, oh, 
I, I better go to church. What are my friends going to think if they don't see me there? So you're trying to cover up the sin that's on the inside by looking good on the outside. and taking, Instead of taking your sin to Jesus and saying, help me, you're just trying to look good on the outside to make, make up for it. The bowl looks good on the outside, but there's rotten spaghetti on the inside. Another example. Let's say that you're home, and maybe there's something on your TV screen that shouldn't be on there. And one of your friends from church, hey, anybody home? Just wanted to pop by to see you. And you quick change the channel Bible Project. Get that on the channel real quick. Um, so again, your bowl is looking good on the outside, but the maggots are feasting on the inside. See that, so that's hypocrisy. When we try to cover up the sin that's on the inside by looking good on the outside. And so can you see how easy it is to be a hypocrite? Listen, we all struggle with that, don't we? Every single one of us here struggles with that. And Jesus gives two reasons in this passage why we must beware, why we must fight to avoid hypocrisy. The first reason, he says, is because hypocrisy is like leaven, which grows. Look at verse 1. Jesus says to his disciples, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Now what is leaven? Leaven is yeast. And yeast grows. It spreads. It, it multiplies. And so when you allow hypocrisy to stay in your heart, it won't just stay the same. It will always grow. It will always spread. It will always multiply. You'll, you'll find your distance from God increasing. You'll find the sin in your heart growing. You'll find you're pretending before other people multiplying into more and more and more situations. Hypocrisy, just like yeast, always grows, spreads, and multiplies. So that's one reason we need to beware of hypocrisy because it will not stay the same. It will not go away on its own. It will spread and grow and increase. Second reason Jesus gives is because hypocrisy will be exposed. Look at verses 2 and 3. It's an amazing passage. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you've said in the dark shall be heard in the light. And what you've whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. Amazing. Now, I'm not sure if here Jesus is talking about just unconfessed hypocrisy that will be revealed in this way or, or all hypocrisy. I'll, I'll let you do some more thinking and study and talking about that amongst yourselves. But Jesus wants us to picture, he wants us to picture what it would be like if at the final judgment it's revealed that you went to church just so that your friends wouldn't think poorly of you, even though you didn't have any interest in worshiping God. What would that be like? He wants us to think what it would be like if it was revealed that what was really on your, if, if, it's, re, if it's revealed what, what was really on your TV screen and that you weren't that interested in the Bible project after all. I mean, what would it be like to have hypocrisy proclaimed 
from the housetops. Now, the main problem isn't that other people are going to know. Of course, Jesus' point is God knows. God knows everything. He knows exactly what's going on. Okay, so what do we do when we have those desires towards hypocrisy in our hearts, which we all have from time to time? And here's the good news. It's just beautiful. Jesus Christ is always standing before each one of us with exactly what we need to battle whatever sin, temptation, discouragement we're facing. So if we will own up to the sin that's inside of us, if we will own up to it before Jesus, confess it to him, repent of it, ask for his help, want to be freed from it, ask him to forgive us, he totally will. He will. He'll pour his power out upon us as we open up the scriptures and pray over the scriptures. Our faith will be strengthened and renewed, restored. He will do that. But if we just keep covering up the sin by trying to look good on the outside, that hypocrisy will spread and will grow and will multiply. And if we do that, that's spiritually extremely dangerous. So don't cover up sin by trying to look God on the outside. Let Jesus clean up your sin on the inside. He has the power to do that. He is faithful to do that. He will always do that when we come and turn to him as we are. So Grace Church, do we, do we feel the weight of what Jesus is saying here? He would say, friends, brothers, sisters, Beware of the leaven, the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Beware of it. Now, there's a second point that Jesus wants to make in this passage. He not only urges them to watch out for hypocrisy, he also urges them to keep fearlessly advancing the gospel. I think the reason he does this is because if they were in that dinner when Jesus was calling out the Jewish uh, leaders about their sin, or if they heard about it later, very likely that they started to feel like, I'm going to kind of pull back here, maybe get a little bit of distance. I'm not going to be quite as bold in advancing the gospel. And, and Jesus wants to tell them why they, and tell us why we should fearlessly advance the gospel. Jesus' disciples probably felt some fear, and, and you know, the truth is we all can feel fear about advancing the gospel. We all can get some sense of timidity, right? So I was praying about this passage, and just praying about this morning. It struck me that I'm, I'm sure that some of us, maybe many of us, we've all had times where Jesus stirred something in our heart, a bold step to advance the gospel that he was calling us to take. And we felt fear. Some of you may be thinking, well, that's me right now. Maybe God has stirred us to meet a neighbor or invite someone out for, for coffee, but uh, we've been afraid about doing that for some reason. Maybe he's stirred us to meet somebody, maybe somebody in your geometry class to meet, or there's somebody you've seen at the gym and you just have a sense that this person's lonely and just want to reach out and share the love of Christ with them, but then you got timid and, and backed off a little bit. Or maybe he's burdened you with a friend or a family member whom you've you never shared the gospel with them before. And, and you're burdened, but then, ah, you're, no, maybe, maybe not. Well, but what if, what if they think poorly of me afterwards? And in these next verses, Jesus gives five reasons, 
five powerful reasons why we should fearlessly, fearlessly, boldly advance the gospel. So first reason, it's because people can only harm this life, not the life to come. Look at verse 4. I tell you, my friends, so Jesus is still talking to his disciples, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do. Now this is kind of a shocking reason to not fear. I mean, we might have thought Jesus would say, don't worry, I will protect you, no one's going to do anything to you. But that's not what he says here. And remember, most of Jesus' disciples ended up being killed for their faith, right? You've got to keep that in mind. And throughout church history, Jesus has called his followers to risk friendships, to risk jobs, salary, to risk lives, our lives, our very physical lives, to advance the gospel. And, and some of you could be called by Jesus in his love for you. We could be called, some of us here, to, to advance the gospel in a way that, that would cost us possibly even our lives. It's possible. It's happened all through church history. But here's what Jesus says. Don't worry. Don't worry. Yes, they can kill you, but that is all they can do. And then, eternity. Then, being in my presence face to face and being filled with joy everlastingly and ever-increasingly forever and being so glad you were faithful to me and joining all the saints in, in worship and adoration. And Yes, they can take your life now, but then eternity. So do not be afraid. That's Jesus' first reason. Second reason. It's because if we don't advance the gospel, we risk eternity. Now, that, that might sound shocking, but just read this verse and see if you don't agree that that's what Jesus is saying here. Verse 5, he says, But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Now, let's just be clear. Who has authority to cast people into hell? It is not Satan. Satan is not the king of hell. Satan is going to be cast into hell screaming. He's going to be enslaved and punished in hell. So he is, he's not the authority over hell. The one who has authority to cast into hell is God. And here Jesus is telling his disciples He's telling his disciples, he's telling us, fear God because he can cast people into hell. Now, that should sound puzzling to us because I hope you know, no one who's trusting Jesus should at all be afraid about being cast into hell because Jesus has paid for all of our sins on the cross. He absorbed the hell that you deserved in himself on the cross and was punished with your hell. So you don't face hell because you're trusting Jesus. So none of us should fear hell 
it, because we're trusting Jesus. But see, I think that's Jesus' point. Listen carefully. See if this makes sense to you. He's warning us that if we're not advancing the gospel, then we're not trusting Jesus. If we're not advancing the gospel, then we're not trusting Jesus because Jesus has said, all authority has been given to me. Go into all the world and make disciples. He has said, one of your greatest joys will be advancing the gospel no matter what the cost is. Trust me. It'll be one of your greatest joys. And so if we trust him, what will we do? We'll advance the gospel. But if we don't, are we trusting him? He wants to have us wrestle with that, that question. If we're not advancing the gospel, we should raise questions about whether we're trusting Jesus. And if we're not trusting Jesus, then that means we are risking eternity. Now, that might raise another question. At least I hope it does if you're thinking about this. Doesn't the Bible say that once God saves you, you will surely end up in heaven. No one who God saves will ever end up in hell. So the Bible clearly teaches, Philippians 1, 6, the, the good work God has started, he will continue until the day of Christ Jesus. So let me explain how this fits together, I hope. Let me pray that I could do this. There's at least two ways that Jesus keeps us on the road to heaven all the way so that everyone he saves will enter heaven. Two ways. One way is he puts warning signs. We've talked about this before. I find this to be a very helpful illustration. I think I first read it in Charles Spurgeon. God puts warning signs. This, this road has some very windy, dangerous curves which have steep drop-offs which would lead to destruction. And so God puts warning signs up saying, don't go past this barrier or you will fall to eternal destruction. So there's warning signs all through this road. That's one thing that he does to keep us on the road. The second thing he does is he changes our hearts so we pay heed to his warnings. So when we see a warning, we say, whoa, I'm not going to go near that. that, that I'm going to turn here and stay in the center of the road. And that's what happens. So because you've been saved, when you hear Jesus' warnings, you pay heed to Jesus' warnings. You pay attention to Jesus' warnings. That's how Jesus keeps us on the road all the way to heaven. And he will keep us on the road. And those two, that's two of the ways he does that. So this morning, we are hearing Jesus giving us a warning. This is a warning that's on the road. If we are not advancing the gospel, we are not trusting Jesus. And that risks eternity. There's the warning sign right there on the road. And because you've been saved, you're paying heed to that warning right now, saying, Oh Lord, help me. I'm too timid. I'm too fearful. That's what I've had to say this week. I want to be more bold. And again, here, here's the good news. Jesus doesn't leave us on our own in these things. He is standing before you with everything you need to become emboldened and to advance the gospel. Do you believe that? Listen, 2 Corinthians 9.8 says, God is able to make all grace abound to us so that always, having all sufficiency at all times, you will have an abundance for every good deed, including advancing the gospel. He will give you all the grace you need. So, so if you're struggling with timidity or fearfulness, you feel like I'm, I'm not advancing the gospel very much, turn to the Lord Jesus. He's there with, with open arms. Say, forgive me. 
I'm too timid. I'm too tentative. I'm too fearful. Help me. Change me. Ask some brothers and sisters to, to pray for you. Open up to some strategic scriptures and pray over them. And as you do that, Jesus will pour out a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon you. You will experience your courage and your boldness growing, and you will see yourself advancing the gospel in ways that you hadn't before. But that's the third, second warning Jesus gives. For not advancing the gospel, we risk eternity. Third reason. Do you see how this is a challenging and convicting passage? Third reason. God won't forget any sacrifice you make for the gospel. Verses 6 and 7. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not. You are of more value than many sparrows. I tried to Google how many sparrows are on the world, in, on the earth. Nobody, nobody told me. Millions, maybe billions, okay, lots. I mean, lots and lots and lots of sparrows. God never forgets one of them. Never. He is aware of each of them individually. And because you are worth much more than many sparrows, what that means is that God never forgets any of us. He knows you individually so thoroughly that he knows exactly how many hairs are on your head, right? 438,592, 438,593. I mean, he knows exactly how many hairs are on your head. Now, what does Jesus point by saying that about God? He's just been talking about not fearing those who can take our lives. And so I think Jesus' point is God will never forget ever, ever, ever. He will never forget any sacrifice you make for the gospel. Never. And he will mercifully reward whatever sacrifice you make with even more joy in him now and forever. So let's say your friend uh, rejects you because you, you sat down and, and, and shared the gospel, humbly shared the truth about Jesus, your friend rejects you, God knows. And God will never forget that. And he will reward you with more joy in Jesus now and forever. He promises. Think about your job. We want to be wise on the job and bold with those relationships. And so if, as you're being wise and bold, you, you lose your job for the sake of the gospel, God knows. God will never forget that. Not only will he take care of you financially, but he will give you more joy, even more joy in Jesus now and forever. What about your life? Same applies. If any one of us here in this room would have the, the honor of losing our lives for Jesus' sake. Oh, God knows. And God will never forget that. And he will reward you with more joy in Jesus forever.
Remember Jim Elliott, right, and his friends. They heard about the Alka Indians in the Amazon jungle who had never heard the good news of Jesus. Never. And they'd heard that the Alka Indians had recently killed some oil engineers who'd been exploring in their territory. But Jim Elliott and his friends flew into a, landed on a sandbar in Alka Indian territory to take them the gospel, and they were all killed. They were all killed. But a few years later, the whole tribe of Alka Indians had come to faith in Jesus. And listen to what Jim Elliott had written earlier in his journal. You've heard this. We've talked about it before. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. God will never forget what you've done. You will gain. You will gain even more joy in Jesus forever. That's the third reason. Fourth reason, it's because I will be acknowledged or denied by Jesus depending on whether I acknowledge or deny him. Look at verses 8 and 9. And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man also, that's a reference to Jesus, the Son of Man also will acknowledge before the angels of God, everyone who acknowledges me before men. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. Oh, church, it would be tragic to have Jesus deny us, any one of us, before the angels of God. But, but think of the joy, the amazing joy of having Jesus acknowledge us before the angels of God. It's going to happen. Think about it. Picture Jesus ablaze with glory and millions of angels before him, worshiping him, shining with his glory. Angels are massive, majestic, glorious creatures, infinitely less glorious than Jesus, but, but amazing creatures. And so, so picture it. Picture Jesus before these angels, and he says, Angels, here's George. And George has acknowledged me before his friend. And the angels will go, yes, yes, that's awesome. Celebration among the angels. And then Jesus will go, now here's, here's Latifah, who acknowledged me at great risk before her family. The angels, oh, that's amazing. Yes, that's beautiful. Glory to God. That's an incredible thing. And then Jesus will say, yes. And, and here's Roberto who also at great risk acknowledged me before his manager. Oh, that's amazing. So you'll be there. And Jesus is going to acknowledge you before the, the angels. Now, what though if you've denied Jesus before people? Does that mean it's all over for us? No. Look at verse 10. For everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man... That's like denying Jesus, will be forgiven. But the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Now, notice, if we speak a word against Jesus, if we deny Jesus, we can still be forgiven by confessing 
by repenting, right, by bringing this to Jesus, just like Peter did. How many times did Peter deny Jesus before men and women? Three times. Remember that? Heartbreaking, heartbreaking. Did Jesus forgive him? Absolutely. Jesus forgave him, and he'll forgive you as well. I mean, all of us have denied Jesus from time to time, either by words or by actions or by silence, right? And we can be completely forgiven from that. That's the good news. But there's also a warning here in this passage. The blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. If we blaspheme against the Holy Spirit, we will never be forgiven. What is the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit? It means resisting the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's always drawing us towards Jesus, turn to Jesus, love Jesus. Holy Spirit's convicting us of sin, confess this to Jesus. The Holy Spirit's constantly moving us towards Jesus, but the blasphemy against the Spirit is rejecting, resisting that work of the Holy Spirit all our lives. That's the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Resisting that work of the Holy Spirit all our lives. Blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is not a one-time action you might do, and that means you're damned for the rest of your life. That's not the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. It's resisting the Holy Spirit's Christ-drawing work all your life, because if you resist that all your life, you're never trusting Christ, and, and you will never be forgiven. So here's what Jesus wants us to understand here. If you've, if you've been denying Jesus by words or by silence or by actions, Turn back to Jesus. Forgive me, Jesus. I'm sorry. Wash me, cleanse me, change me. Open up the scriptures, pray. He will meet you. He will pour out his Holy Spirit afresh upon you. He will strengthen you. You will feel your courage increasing, your joy in him increasing, your faith in his reality increasing, your boldness increasing. That will happen. And then you will see yourself boldly advancing the gospel and you'll have the joy of Jesus acknowledging you one day before the angels. Now one last reason, very encouraging. We should boldly advance the gospel because the Spirit will give us exactly what to say. This is amazing. Look at verses 11 and 12. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. I'm sure many of us have held back from sharing the gospel with somebody because we think we're not going to do a very good job. Somebody else could do it much better. I'm going to stumble and stutter. They might ask me a question I don't have the answer to. If we had a show of hands, I think probably we would all raise our hands about that. We've all struggled with that. And so this promise is for us. This is an amazing promise. Jesus is standing before you with joy in his heart and a big smile on his face saying, the Holy Spirit will always give you exactly what you need to say. Trust him. Now that does not mean we neglect studying the scriptures and thinking through how to share the gospel but it means we never hold back because we think we may not be very clear or we may be asked a question we don't have the answer to or we might garble up our words in some way. The Holy Spirit 
will always give you exactly what you need to say. So, Grace Church, I'm praying that God is going to use this passage, first of all, to cleanse any hypocrisy that might be in our hearts. We, we all battle with it. One reason, hypocrisy never goes away. It always increases. It's dangerous. And second reason, hypocrisy is going to be revealed. So bring it before the Lord. He will cleanse you. He will change you. He has everything you need in order to battle hypocrisy. And I'm also praying that God will use this message to lift us all up to a new level of advancing the gospel for five reasons. Because people can only harm this life, not the life to come. Second, because if we stop, if we're, if we're not advancing the gospel, we will risk eternity. Third, because God will never forget any sacrifice you make for the gospel. Never. He'll reward you. Fourth, because we will be acknowledged or denied by Jesus, depending on whether we acknowledge or deny him before people. And fifth, the Holy Spirit will always give us exactly what we need to say in every situation that we're in. Let's pray together. Why don't you stand? Let me pray over us. We praise you, Jesus Christ, that you are standing before each of us with everything we need right now, all the forgiveness we need, all the heart change we need, all the boldness that we need, all we need to do is turn to you and say, help us, Lord. Help us, and you will. And so I pray that you'd pour that out upon us even more right now. In Jesus' name, amen.